Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Caroline Strawson. Caroline, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so great to be here today with you. Well, as a fellow podcaster, I'm excited to, to have you on the show and, and for you to have the tables turned so that you're officially in the guest seat today. Oh, I know, I know. It's unusual um, to, to reverse this. It's normally me doing my own podcast, but yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> so a lot more talking from your perspective today. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, a subject that I'm really, really passionate about as well. So share with us what it is you're up to at the moment. So at the moment, um, I'm literally mid-launch of my narcissistic trauma recovery program, which is kind of an integration of my membership and a sort of 12-step deep healing cognitive and somatic system that I've created, really looking at the trauma of narcissistic abuse, because it is trauma. You know, it's a word, I think, narcissist that we use probably far too frequently in our society, which actually really sort of diminishes really the experiences of those sometimes who have been in relationships with narcissists, whether that be a partner or a parent, co-worker, friend. So, you know, I wanted to put together a program that didn't just work on what goes on in the brain and mind, but also the body, you know, trauma is stored in the body, you know, and it's, and when we talk about trauma, I think a lot of people actually misunderstand even what trauma is. Um, because even even when we look at sort of psychology and stuff, we can even label trauma big T and little T. And, and I kind of don't agree with that because trauma is very individual. It's very personal based on our own past experiences. So what may be traumatic to one person may not be to someone else. But that doesn't mean we should judge the person who does feel very traumatized by something. And and I, and again, I think when we talk about the word trauma, it doesn't just mean abuse or neglect Trauma is any overwhelm to our system and our capacity to cope and then what gets locked in our body causing us to react in the present moment because it's still kind of running on stuff from our past. So, for instance, you know, if you've got a sort of self-worthiness wound of, say, I'm not good enough from past experiences and somebody in the present behaves in a way that you could construe that they're trying to make you feel not good enough, you're going to react. So you might be angry at that person. You might get very, very defensive. And that's a trauma response because we're not coming from a place of clarity and calmness and curiosity. So we know we've kind of become blended with a part and we're reacting acting back so you know trauma is really what we say to ourselves that is held in our body about the events that we are experiencing it's not the event itself you know for me narcissistic trauma isn't the narcissist narcissistic trauma is what we say to ourselves on a very deep level about the narcissist behavior they're behaving like that because I'm not good enough they're behaving like that because I'm unlovable or not important that's the trauma but the beauty of that though as well Amy is the power for us to heal then is within us not changing somebody else's behavior so 
is that almost a case of you you're not blaming the narcissist for being who they are Correct. And I think this this is such a funny enough, I was having a conversation with somebody about this yesterday as well, Amy. And, you know, the whole sort of field of narcissism, I approach it quite differently to a lot of other people because I'm trauma informed, which means I get root cause elements of things. Um, but this isn't to diminish the experiences of those at the hands of a narcissist you know abuse is abuse there's no excuse for it but when we can start to understand why people behave the way that they do what we can do then is empower the person who's being perpetrated against so you know partner or whomever to understand the narcissist behavior is not because of you it's because of their past experiences and I do a lot of what's um, internal family systems in the work that I do. So internal family systems is an evidence-based parts therapy. It's just the most wonderful therapy because we look at things very, very different. So we all have parts of us, you know, your listeners will probably have, you know, if you get invited somewhere, you know, have a part of you that really, really wants to go. And then there's this part saying, yeah, but you'll be really tired and you won't be able to work properly the next day. So we all have these different parts of us. And on the whole, parts can be, you know, very productive in our system, but we can also have quite destructive parts within our system as well. And they are there for a reason. You know, when I think of sort of anxiety or depression or perfectionism, self-sabotaging, emotional eating, addictions. These are all parts of us that are there to protect us from what our brain thinks is distracting us away from something even more painful. So how internal family system works, it's almost like if you think about it like a triangle. So when we are all born, we, we come into this world and we are our true self. And, and the true self in internal family systems is somebody who is calm and compassionate, confident, curious, um, living with clarity. They're very creative and calm. And if we're not coming from that place, then we're not living as our true self. It means we've blended with a protector part. So why do these protector parts come up? Normally from our childhood, we get what's called these wounds or exiles, as we call them in internal family systems. I like to call them self-worthiness wounds. So these self-worthiness wounds start to form because we interpret and perceive other people's behavior is a reflection of us. You know, our brain needs reasons for things. So if we have a parent who behaves in a certain way towards us, then we need to kind of rationalize that, find a reason for that. And a child will always think it's because of me, because I'm not good enough. It's because of me, because I'm not important or I'm unlovable or I don't matter, whatever then that comes up. That then creates this wound, this stuck, younger, inner child, this exile, that in that moment, the brain goes, oh, don't want to feel like this again. This is too painful for me to feel. And the brain's number one job is to keep us alive and safe and to move us away from pain. So if in that moment, it feels painful when that wound was formed, everything in our system then becomes about us not feeling that pain again. And we get all these protector parts coming up. So again, some of your listeners might emotionally eat. They know they shouldn't, you know, but in moments they go and eat a slice of cake or eat 10 bags of crisps, of which I can relate to because emotional eating has been a very strong protector part for me. Now we know on a cognitive level, we don't want to do that. 
But when we are triggered in any given moment, it's like it's like someone's scratching the scab of that wound in that moment, trying to make you feel what that wound is, that self-worthiness wound. So your system kind of goes, don't worry, I'm going to distract and soothe you away from feeling that wound. Let's go and eat a piece of cake or and this can go even more extreme. Let's go and have drugs. Let's go and self-harm. You know, they, they can be very extreme, these protector parts, because they are driven by They'll do anything in their power to stop you feeling that core wound. So if we think about all our systems are driven by, we have our true self, then we get these exile wounds. And then the exile wounds for us not to feel like that, we have these protector parts that show up for us in our everyday life. And again, that can be things like procrastination. It can be in business. It can be in personal relationships. If we know we're not coming from a place of calm and clarity, et cetera, et cetera, then we've blended with a part because our system has gone into protection mode. Now, that is the same for everybody, including narcissists. You know, narcissists aren't born narcissists. That may, that may not just mean, though, that their parents treated the narcissist in a certain way, because, of course, a narcissist will also have trauma from their childhood, too. And their perception of that is it's because of them. They create that wound. And I kind of liken the word narcissist almost to the collective term of a person's protector parts that are very narcissistic. Now, the problem with a narcissist, though, is we can never get beyond those narcissistic protector parts to work on what the core wound is to then help them live into self-leadership and live as themselves. The person who's in the relationship with a narcissist, we can do that. So for someone like myself, I recognize, yes, there were wounds, you know, whoever I would work with then, we could work on why the protector parts there, we could work on the wounds so that I could start living as my true self. The issue with a narcissist is, that they will never take ownership or responsibility. They don't recognize the subjective distress of their behavior. So when they behave in a certain way, you know, if I went up to a narcissist, for instance, and I said, look, I recognize that those behaviors are there because they're actually protecting you from feeling something that probably happened in childhood for you for whatever reason, the narcissist would never admit that. The narcissist would say, well, no, the reason I'm behaving like this is because you are behaving like that or I'm having to do all of this. So there's no ownership of that which again it doesn't mean I would love to say hey send the narcissist my way I will work on their core wounds and I will help them it's not a case because I do feel incredibly compassionate for that because I recognize their behavior is coming from a place of them needing to stay safe projecting that outwardly so the narcissist intention all of the time is for them to not feel worthless and by nature of their intention, the impact of that on somebody else is if they're coming from a place of a wounded part, they will react and they'll blend with their protector parts too, which is why codependents, those who have a lack of self, who are saying things like, I'm not good enough, are magnets to a narcissist because a codependent will give, 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 give. And the narcissist will take, take, take. And in some respects, it's like a match made in heaven because they're both in some ways feeding each other. But of course, that isn't any way for a codependent to live because then you end up living in dissociation, numbness, you're not living your life to the full. So whilst I would love to say, you know, yes, we could help narcissists to not behave like that. I can't help somebody if there's no ownership of the fact they need help in the first place. And ultimately, like I said at the start, Amy, you know, abuse is abuse. There's no excuse for a narcissist behavior. But if we can help those who've been victimized by a narcissist to receive 
how their behavior is, not from a place of blended with a part because they have a wound, but they're stepping into their true self and going, ah, so the narcissist is behaving like that to me, not because of me, to me, because of their wounds, it completely shifts the power. You know, so many people when they're going through sort of relationships with narcissists desperately try and change the narcissist's behavior and they try and change their behavior by them changing their behavior so it soothes their system but a narcissist nothing you will ever do for a narcissist will ever be good enough anyway so you're going to keep on giving and trying and everything else but your your wounds will never get soothed because it will never be good enough not because you're not good enough just because nothing ever will be so if we can get and empower somebody to recognize that other people's behavior is no reflection of them and a lot of people will know that you know most people as adults we kind of know that they're behaving like that we can kind of see reasons why but the problem with that is is a lot of people only work on the cognitions of all of that we work on the symptoms and we work on you know affirmations which absolutely have a place but if we're not working in the body with the activation that happens in the body we're not processing those past memories almost time stamping them in a part of our brain into the past so we don't react in the present you know normally when we react in the present to anything it's because it's triggered old wounds our system goes <gasps> we go into a trauma response of fight flight and free we have protector parts coming up trying to not make us feel that certain way to try and distract us and soothe us away if we can work on somebody's core wound so take me for instance my core wound initially my self-worthiness wound was really I'm not good enough hence those protector parts would come up people pleasing perfectionism high achieving emotional eating self-harm five very prevalent protector parts in my system trying to distract and soothe me away from feeling not good enough now if I work on that core wound of not feeling good enough then those protector parts in my system no longer need to have that role in my system because there's no wound for them to show up to distract and soothe me away from we can give them different roles in your system exercise more or, or you know healthy eating so those parts aren't going to go away it's just the job that those parts have taken on because of past trauma is okay i need to make caroline eat a load of food if someone is going to activate that wound so it's constantly trying to do the best for me that's why when we work on things like addictions for instance it's not about the substance you know helping people with addictions and things like that of course there's a chemical element within our body around all of this but if we genuinely want to stop somebody distracting and soothing away because if you take away the addiction they'll find something else you know if you if you have someone who's addicted to drugs for instance and you and you sort of take away the drugs they'll find something else because the root cause hasn't been addressed we're just shifting it around the system where other things come up but if we work on that root cause the kind of self-worthiness wound you know why did you feel not good enough and we work within the body so we don't just know we're good enough we feel good enough then our system totally shifts and we can empower ourselves then to live as much as we can as our true self in the present moment too wow there's so much there honestly Caroline I'm not sure where to start I mean the whole vicious circle that you're talking about and and how it just keeps perpetuating itself move that circle into the the trauma triangle that you've been talking about and and how to become that true self and and as you said focus on the root cause and not the effects that are coming through 
where did this all start? My own experiences, you know, um, sort of 11 years ago, really over the space of 18 months, I had a huge amount of trauma in my own life. So my mum passed away very, very suddenly. I'd had multiple miscarriages between my son and I did go on to have a daughter um, as well. And things really broke down in my relationship with my ex-husband. They hadn't been right for a while, but I was so dedicated to being the best mum I could and focusing on creating a family. I kind of just got on with it, really. A, because I was financially dependent upon my ex-husband as well. So I was kind of trapped not knowing how to get out, because if I did leave, then how would I survive financially? So I just threw myself into being a mom. And I remember this one particular day then, he actually left me um, in the end, and I see it as a blessing at the time, but it was really, really scary when it happened, because I thought, oh, how am I going to cope financially? Um, And I didn't actually know the extent of the finances at that stage as well because as things unpicked over the following sort of couple of weeks we were in over 70,000 pounds worth of debt you know and that then I was kind of this single mum I grew up myself with ladybird fairy books so I was now kind of berating myself you know my kids are from a broken home I'm a single mum you know I'm it's downhill in my life from now you know and and I and I kind of really went between feeling very, very angry one minute to being very, very upset. I used to start my mornings on my bathroom floor, desperately trying not to have a panic attack. Sometimes I'd win at that. Sometimes I wouldn't. I would self-harm. So I'd kind of use the top of the toothpaste on the top of my legs. Little did I know about parts at that stage because it was a great part in my system trying to distract me away from a little girl who wasn't feeling good enough. So my system was working very well. But of course, you know, cognitively, I knew I shouldn't be doing that. But I had no control over doing that. And I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I'd got depression anxiety so it was a really really low moment of my time and 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 again with a narcissist when when you break up from one you know most people if they go through a divorce it's kind of like you have the divorce and then you kind of move on from it it can often get worse with a narcissist because the abuse can escalate because of course it when we split up there had to be a reason for him to do that. And it would have to be all my fault. So there's this very much, when we talk about um, narcissistic abuse like this, there are flying monkeys and smear campaigns. So, you know, I would know that he would be telling people about other things that I knew categorically weren't true. And of course that made me feel even worse. So all of his actions weren't making me feel better. It was actually making me feel even more worthless than what I already felt. So, you know, not only was his behavior highlighting my own self-worthiness wounds in our marriage, that was continuing as well once we split up. And then in April of um, 2013, it was a real turning point for me, really, really my lowest point at that stage. I actually had my family home repossessed as well. So I'd literally, other than my two children, I had literally lost everything. I'd got pence in my bank account. The money coming in didn't equal the money going out. I was a podiatrist at the time. So I kind of ran a part-time clinic, but between tax credits and the little money I was getting from my ex, I just didn't have enough money to survive and certainly stay in the house that I was. So it got repossessed. And and I remember I hit 40 that year as well, Amy. And, and, I, and I genuinely remember thinking on my birthday, I've got two directions here. One, I can kind of sit in this 
poor me, this victim-like state and think, you know, how dare he treat me like this and feel angry. Or I could think, well, okay, this has happened. Don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Don't know how I'm going to feel any better, but I want to. Um, I want to do something different. And, you know, luckily I chose that pathway. And that really started me on a pathway of my own personal um, discovery um, of really, I'd really focused on it that it was him making me feel that way. But actually what it was, was it was his behavior highlighting a wound that I'd had from childhood. And that came from my relationship with my father. So my father, and I love him, he, you know, he's around today, but he was very unemotional. Um, and my perception of that as a child was that I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable enough. That's why he's being like that with me. So that's what got wired in, which then, of course, then made me a magnet to a narcissist because being with a narcissist was a very familiar feeling of not feeling good enough because it took me back to my relationship with my father. So my version of love was with a man, I must feel not good enough. That's what love is. It's what I knew. So of course that made me a magnet. Now it was only then as I started exploring all of this and understanding that I could see actually my ex-husband was just shining a great big spotlight on the wounds that were already there. So I had to go back and initially, when I started to, to do this inner work myself, I was doing a lot of cognitive work. So, you know, looking at the symptoms of how I was feeling, but I was still really stuck. I, I kind of felt like I was just in this circle and I couldn't kind of break it. And it was only then when I started to look at somatic work, the, the kind of, you know, in the body. So I really retrained in everything. I kind of have done lots of qualifications over the years to retrain, really in the modalities that I think are very relevant and prevalent for those healing from narcissistic trauma. So it's, you know, it isn't just about giving people affirmations or talking to them, whilst that absolutely has a place because it validates people's experiences and we want them to know that. For me, it was really important from a trauma-informed perspective. So trauma-informed means we look at the root cause. It's not just about the symptoms. It's not just about the here and now. It's why, 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 why? Just like if you go to the doctor, you know, sadly, many doctors, they just want to give you antidepressants. You know, for me, it's like, well, okay, why are you feeling like that? Why are you depressed? And sadly, many, the society we live in today is very much symptom management, as opposed to root cause resolution. So I wanted to really help people look at the root cause. Why do you feel the way you do? Why were you in a relationship with a narcissist? Where does that come from? And that really is a lot of inner work, going back to our childhood, understanding that, and then using, so I use a lot of internal family systems. I use EMDR and brain spotting, which are fantastic somatic psychotherapies as well, to really, really access parts of the brain that talking doesn't, so that we can really timestamp those memories into the past, so that we can come from a place in the present of remembering things, as opposed to reliving them in our body. So we don't need to have those protector parts trying to protect a wound that is no longer there. And that doesn't mean we erase things that have happened in the past. And it doesn't mean we excuse things that have happened in the past. But it means that our system understands they happen to us, not as a reflection of us. So that we know that it was just we were in that situation and their behavior 
came from them projecting out onto us because they were trying to soothe their own wounds then as well. That's why I love sort of um, internal family systems. You know, we, we always come from a place of compassion and curiosity. And of course, like I say, it doesn't excuse people's behavior, but if we can understand, you know, why people behave in the way that they do, it's a much softer way of looking at things. You know, I'm not here to demonize a narcissist, for instance, because I understand why they behave that the way that they do. That doesn't mean I excuse their behavior at all. And I think when we medicalize narcissistic personality disorder, we sometimes excuse the behavior because we say they've got a medical condition, whereas actually it's childhood trauma as to why they behave like that. But that still doesn't excuse their behavior. That doesn't make it right. So I don't want to sit here and say we're going to focus on the narcissist and, you know, know work on you know let's work on healing them if we can't we can't heal somebody if they don't acknowledge that there's anything to be healed what I want to do is empower those who have been in relationships with narcissists like I was understand why why we feel the way that we do so that now when I communicate say with my ex there's no activation in fact I feel compassion towards him and gratitude because I get to do what I love now as well I feel it's my true purpose but I look at him with compassion because I know he'll never know the depth of a true connected relationship um, because of his own childhood um, as well. So there's a compassion element for me with all of that. Doesn't mean I excuse his behavior, but it means I understand why he behaved like that. But I can understand that now because I'm coming from a place of self, my true self, not blended with a protector part because my wound was being activated and triggered because of his behavior. So the purpose piece now, what is that for you? So the purpose now is, so I bring in a lot of positive psychology into the work. And there's a term that we have in positive psychology called post-traumatic growth. And post-traumatic growth, gosh, I was just fascinated by this. It's growth because of your trauma. And a lot of people might think, oh, my goodness, if I've been through this, how can that be good for me? Now, again, that doesn't excuse what has happened to you. And it doesn't take away the pain of what happened to you either. But what post-traumatic growth is, is, and I totally know I've had post-traumatic growth, it's allowed me to almost stop, almost to have an awakening in some respects, for me to start to realize, well, what is important? joy, love, connection, you know, what's truly important for me to live my life as my best self. So really post-traumatic growth is about finding strength in your struggle, you know, higher level living because of the trauma that you have been through. So for me, the, the purpose, I, I genuinely feel like I went through everything I went through for a reason so that I could come out and really help other people understand that when you're going through narcissistic trauma, it doesn't have to define you. Narcissistic trauma is an opportunity to look at why do I feel the way that I do in this situation? Where is that coming from? Because it's not that I'm coming from my true self. There's a reason. So I really want to help people find meaning in what they've gone through to really awaken their own potential for them to find their purpose as well so that they can go on and live their best life. Because so often, many of us, we know how we don't want to live our life. Don't want to feel like that. I don't want to be in a relationship like that. And that's what we focus on, the don't wants. Whereas actually, I want to help people shift in, well, what do you want? Because it's all available to you. 
what is it you want? But if we've got parts stopping us from going to what we want because of old self-worthiness wounds, it's a whole system. So, you know, for me, when I help people, and I totally see this as, as a purpose, it's about helping them understand their adult self in the moment. Why do I feel the way that I do? helping them resource themselves with that activation and dysregulation. Then we go and look at the younger self. What happened? What happened for that self-worthiness wound, the exile to get stuck in our system for us to then move to our higher self so that we can really live our life as our best self, feeling more joy, more love, more connection, and really stepping into that. And that's really where the positive psychology element comes into all of that and looking at the six pillars of happiness and breaking that down and really looking at, you know, how do we elevate our own life to to live the best life we can because it is all available the only reason we're not is because we're blended with our own protector parts because of past experiences the interpretation of all of that and if we can shift that so for me doing my narcissistic trauma recovery program it's really important for people you know and, and again there are other programs out there but this is a trauma-informed program it's really in the body the brain the mind the body we cover all of that you know resourcing strategies and then stepping out into your best self your higher self um and then because I, there's only so much one-to-ones I can do, I've actually um, created an academy now called the Post Traumatic Growth Academy, and I teach others to become certified narcissistic trauma-informed coaches, so that they can go on and help people understand why to help them move forward. So we're creating this wave, this ripple effect, then of really lifting the shame and guilt of people who feel I'm weak, I'm powerless, this is my fault, because it isn't. You're only feeling the way that you do and behaving the way that you do for a reason. So if we can understand that, then we can change everything. Do you recognize who you are now, Caroline? No, I kind of, when I look in the mirror now with, you know, my life, I kind of feel like, I feel like I'm really living as my higher self now. You know, I really, I, I very rarely get angry. I, I don't, don't get me wrong, I do, especially to my kids sometimes. But that element of, I really don't have judgment of people. I feel such compassion. So even if someone was mean to me, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But it means that I don't go into a trauma response of fight, flight or freeze because I recognize it's not because of me. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but it means I don't judge them because I recognize they are behaving like that because their intention in that moment is to soothe maybe one of their own wounds. And that gets projected outwardly. So you know, for me now, I see people as parts, you know, if they're not coming from a place of self, I just get curious and think, hmm, where's that coming from kind of thing? Because I know it will be coming from somewhere. That's not their true self. It's very rare, unless really someone's a psychopath, that they're behaving in a way because they're genuinely wanting to be mean and horrible. Everybody's intention is to soothe their system and to not feel that pain. So if somebody is behaving in a toxic way, it's because their wound is bleeding, really, and their protector parts are coming up, projecting outwardly to try and soothe their own system. Doesn't make it right, but it means if we can understand, it's not because of you. It never has been because of you. It's just happening to you. And then it's down to you. The power you have is how you receive their intention. What's the impact on you? Is the impact do you blend with the part because you have wounds to work on or you can see that coming from your own true self and you mentioned right at the beginning that the word narcissist is used far too frequently in your sort of true sense how do you use the word so 
for me, a narcissist has a whole host of traits. I mean, in the DSM, which is the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual, that is what is used to diagnose narcissistic personality disorder. And in there, they list nine traits. But there's only nine traits. And, you know, to get even a diagnosis, it means someone has to go, hey, I think I'm a narcissist. I need to go and get a diagnosis. But I don't, I don't personally agree with diagnosis or anything like that because it goes far beyond all of that. You know, for me, again, I get the root cause of all of this. So I list probably about 36 traits, you know, um, coercion, manipulation, anger, gaslighting, um, you know, grandiosity. There's, there's a whole host of traits that I, I will list that a narcissist will have. But it has to be because a lot of them you might read and think, well, I'm like that as well. You know, we all have some narcissistic traits, but really all of these happen with a narcissist pretty much on a daily basis in all aspects of their life as well. So over a period of time and it, and it becomes abusive in that format. So one of the key things I think for a narcissist is there is no empathy, none. And just to give you an example of that as well, the empathy can be very different in private than in public. You know, um, I remember when I was um, really poorly when I was with my ex-husband and I remember he was he, he worked for an airline and he was going off for a number of days and we've got, got our children and I knew I was really poorly and would really struggle to look after them. And it wasn't often I would say that. And I literally remember crying on our lounge floor saying, please, you're going to have to stay at home. And I remember, and I can still remember it now, him looking at me like he was watching paint dry. There was just no empathy, nothing. Yet the next day he did stay eventually. It took about three hours before he made that decision. And boy, oh boy, did I know that. But there was no empathy. But then when my parents came around the following day, it was his idea to stay at home. It was his idea to look after me. Because, of course, then his agenda was my parents going, aren't you a great husband? Aren't you lovely looking after Caroline? So there's a real difference between how a narcissist behaves in public than in private. But one of the key things is empathy. A narcissist will have no empathy. And again, there's science behind that from an fMRI perspective where we look at the brains of narcissists, where they have very few if any, what we call mirror neurons as well. So there's a whole element that we can see around all of that too. Um, but yeah, a narcissist really is somebody who obviously doesn't recognize their own behavior. They will behave in a certain way. They will have no empathy. Um, they can be, there's, there's 10 different types of narcissists as well. Probably for me, the most dangerous type is what you call a covert narcissist. Not the typical narcissist people would think that person who walks into the room who's kind of like, hey, look at me kind of person. A covert narcissist is very victim-like. The kind of poor me behaving in a certain way. So people go, oh, no, no, you're really good at that. Oh, no, 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 you're amazing. That is the most dangerous type because they don't look like the traditional type of narcissist either. And if you break up from a covert narcissist, they will act like the victim. They will act like it's your fault. And that can be very, very hard on you then as well. So that's probably the, the most destructive type of narcissist. So what's next? What's the big mission for you, Caroline? So the big mission for me is to help people understand narcissism through a trauma-informed lens. And 
when we can understand it through a trauma-informed lens, we can bring compassion to it, both for the person victimized by a narcissist and the narcissist themselves. That doesn't excuse their behavior. But if we can sort of understand behavior and then empower people to recognize, and, you know, one of the things that I want to do towards the end of this year, beginning of next is, you know, I'm in the process of creating a program for professionals as well, lawyers, attorneys, financial planners, so that they can learn more about narcissism through a trauma-informed lens. So if they have clients that come to them because clients when they come to them can be really angry one minute and then cry in the next minute and of course if you're trying to work with them that can be quite hard for the professional to work with someone like that and it's and it almost you know the the professional might think this person's crazy but that will make the client feel even worse from a trauma-informed perspective so yeah I'm in the process of creating a program end of the year beginning of next year as well for, for, for professionals so I'm kind of working on those victimized and that will be through my narcissistic trauma recovery program my coaching certification so obviously there's only so much one person can do in the world so it's kind of kind of creating that sort of next generation of coaches who understand narcissism through a trauma-informed lens and then working on the court system the professionals so you know we can really help people start to understand root cause trauma-informed with a place of compassion, not judgment, not blame, not like, oh God, look at how they're behaving and everything. That's judgment. That's you blending with your protector parts. We want to come from a place of compassion and not judge someone if they're behaving in a certain way and come from a place of curiosity and think, why are they behaving like that? So rather than, you know, oh gosh, look at them, why not say what happened to them for them to behave like that? So when you've got the words narcissist, trauma, recovery in your titles, how can people sort of stop clinging onto those and move forward? I think it's about stepping into their higher self. And that has to come from taking small steps to start off with. You know, somebody, if I said to somebody, oh, you can feel like me, that's going to feel like a mountain for them to go. Okay. So it's small steps. And I always say little steps lead to giant leaps at some stage, even if we're going hour by hour at some stage when we're dealing with trauma um, too. So it's really important for people to recognize where you are right now does not mean it will be where you end up one hour at a time if necessary, get that system calm, be nice and present, a lot of mindfulness, be in that present moment where hopefully you are safe so that your system can learn what it feels like to feel safe again and we can start to really move forward and work within the brain, the mind and the body as well and and have that understanding through a trauma-informed lens. So there'll be people out there who will be thinking that they they resonate with what you've shared today and they've recognised parts of of the different elements that you've got there and you you covered the anxiety the depression the self-harm the the sort of eating various eating disorders self-sabotaging the addictions and and they'll have that well how where they are they're okay but they're not okay how do they then because you you had almost the decision made for you yeah how do people sort of you know that was it was like there is no other way almost so so what how do people break free from the cycle there's a number of ways there one support network it's so key at that stage and the really the primary element of this if someone's in a relationship like this is safety you know this isn't about me saying to anybody just get out just leave because it's like that safety has to be a priority you know more murders in domestic abuse happen in the first seven days of someone leaving a relationship so safety is the priority here but you know I work with people where they're still in the relationship for instance and we create a safe exit strategy for them so we put things in place we set things up like that to start off with and one of the key 
key things really for somebody if they're listening and they're feeling like maybe that is them, but they're still in the relationship and how do they get out? Reach out, you know, get some support. Now that might be going to a local domestic abuse charity. And again, I'm not, you know, narcissists can be male and female. It's not just men that are narcissists. Predominantly, there's a higher percentage that are, but women can, you know, I've worked with men and they they can be um, narcissistic women out there as well. So safety is a priority when it comes to that. And how I work with people like that, it's about just helping them recognize enough to feel safe enough in their system to actually make those decisions. Because remember, we can't judge somebody who stays in a domestically abusive relationship, a narcissistic relationship, because everything in our system is driven by safety. Remember, the brain's number one job to keep us safe, to keep us alive, and to move us away from pain. So if someone is staying in a relationship like that, we cannot judge them for doing that. What we can do is feel compassion that their system thinks it is safer to stay in the relationship than to leave. So if we can support them with no judgment so that we can start to help them to feel safer, to feel maybe they might be good enough, to feel that they could have the confidence to move forward, they are then more likely to make that decision themselves that, oh, okay, it could be safer to leave now. How do I do that? And that's then when we create that safe exit strategy then as well. Yeah, because uh, as you say, that the safety is is the, the primary responsibility of the brain and where they are, they know where what the worst thing is that could happen where they are. But when there's the unknown comes in, they don't, the brain doesn't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. And that's why anybody who's, you know, and, and I often have family members write to me and say, oh, you know, my daughter or whoever is in this relationship and I keep telling them to leave and I say, actually you telling them that is actually making the situation worse because if they're staying in the relationship they're already coming from self-worthiness wins if I'm worthless I'm not good enough so if you're saying to them you need to leave they will kind of know that on a cognitive level because they'll know it's kind of a toxic relationship but they can't leave because it feels safer to stay so actually by telling them to to leave and then them staying you're reinforcing what they already feel about themselves oh I must be useless then because look my parents or whomever are telling me to leave and now I'm not even doing that. And the danger of doing that with somebody is they isolate themselves even more. So we want to be there for people in those types of relationship with no judgment, just compassion, so that they know that they can feel safe with you rather than you passing judgment on them not leaving as well. And I know that can be incredibly frustrating because we see this in domestic abuse charities. You know, people will leave a relationship and then go back and leave and go back, leave and go back. And that's not for us to judge somebody doing that. That just tells us that their system feels safer in an abusive relationship than out. But where has that come from? Because as we know, on a cognitive level, it isn't safer, but we need to support them in a safe way to recognize that so that they can then make those steps um, to leave. Wow. I feel like I've had a, a whole education in, in, <laughs> in literally like the last half an hour. It's been a, a whirlwind of, of fascinating learning here Caroline and thank you so much for educating us on on this particular field that you're working in how would people get in touch with you 
they can get in touch with me um, on Instagram or Facebook. So just look up Caroline Strawson. They can drop me an email at hello at carolinestrawson.com um, or they can go and look on my website, carolinestrawson.com. And there's a form on there. You can have a read through, you know, some other the modalities that I use and they can look at the trauma recovery program on there. And yeah, more than happy, you know, any way that I can support, you know, I, I always try and do everything I can to support people in this area because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be at rock bottom feeling like there's no way out, literally feeling no way out. It's only my children that I'm still here today. So I know what it's like to be at rock bottom, but there is a light at the end of that tunnel. It might feel really dim right now, but there is, it's just, you know, being intentional and starting to take those teeny tiny steps each day. And of course, there's your fantastic resource, which is the podcast. Absolutely. Yes. I have my podcast, the Narcissistic Trauma Recovery Podcast YouTube channel. You can go and, you know, watch or listen, whichever's your kind of preference with all of that. And of course, I have my book, actually. I always forget about my book, actually, which is on Amazon called Divorce Became My Superpower because I do genuinely feel it did. I feel like I am living such an amazing life now because of my ex-husband and that's post-traumatic growth you know right there you know living higher level living because of trauma that you have been through if someone had told me that right at the start I'd have said no way I'd never feel like that but it's a journey you know healing is a journey it's not a destination and it is it's just about taking if necessary one hour even at a time because that's good enough and you just mentioned your your ex-partner and you show that compassion and gratitude towards him for what's happened and I don't think there's anything coming back from that side there's no empathy coming back but is there a relationship still with the family and with the children or not it very fractured um and that, but the beauty of that is my children absolutely recognize that their father's behavior is no reflection of them they understand why he behaves in the way that they do and that teaching them that has stood them in good stead, not just for their relationship with their father, but friendships at school, seeing how other people behave and react. So again, actually, when I think about my son is nearly 17 and my daughter's 13, going on 30, um, you know, I definitely see how they behave with compassion to other people. And they recognize that how other people behave is zero reflection of them. And I didn't know that till my late 30s, early 40s, really. So, you know, however we feel now when we, if we have children in this kind of environment, you know, for me, it's about heal yourself, healing the next generation really with that and helping them recognize again that their other people's behavior is never a reflection of them. So maybe there's a, a lady book, a ladybird book in the making there for you, Caroline, that you can rewrite those stories that you thought you had to have this perfect sort of life. And actually you absolutely. have created that through this. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. I mean, there's no such thing as perfection and perfectionism was a huge protector part in my system. But perfectionists are really amongst the most unhappy people because you think you're going to hit that goal and then everything will be perfect. But guess what? Your system goes, oh, no, we're going to put another one there now for you. You're never going to attain the goal that you think because your system is set up to keep you going, keep you going, keep you going. And then you might burn out. And so there's a whole host of other elements with that. It's always about thinking when you blend with your protector parts to recognize, am I doing this with an agenda? So if I'm behaving in this way, am I doing it because I need something in return? Or am I doing it just because I want to do it? I'm coming from a place of true self and that's a really good gauge 
you know, because you might say, well, being driven is a re- really good. And yeah, I'm very, very driven, but I'm not blended with a protector part to be perfect now with an agenda. I'm coming from a place of true self. And if I don't hit something, I look at myself with compassion. I don't think, oh, goodness, and blend with a part and think I'm not good enough. And there's a real key difference with that. Well, I'm so glad you've got your place of true self because it's. It, I can see the energy that you've put into this and your the ripple effect that you are creating with the, the academy, with the coaches. It's just going to be phenomenal. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have some final words for us, Caroline? Yeah, I think I just want to reiterate really to your audience that, you know, wherever you are right now does not need to define you from where you have been. And it does not mean it will be how you are for the rest of your life. And I just invite all the listeners to get curious about one thing, just one. What one thing could you start to do right now that can support you moving towards your best self? And that doesn't matter whether it's teeny tiny, just one thing. And let's rather than keep saying one day, let's make today day one. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.